0: Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So some of you know this about me, but um, many of you probably don't. But I um, just first a little bit about me. I want to share a little bit about me. I want to share a little bit about my heart and my journey, and I want to connect this all to Obviously, the topic that I got on the screen, what does faith have to do with my real life, and what does that have to do with reconciliation? So that's kind of where we're going tonight. So my background, some of you know this, some of you probably don't know this, but I didn't really grow up in a very faithful family, right? So my parents were very much a product of their own generation, so my uh, my dad went to St. Pius until he was in third grade, then he got kicked out of St. Pius School. Um, which is kind of impressive back then. Uh, so he was, he, was a, he was kicked out of Catholic school. My mom went to St. Monica's in Garfield Heights all the way through eighth grade, then Trinity High School, uh, and then off to uh, nursing school. They met each other at Marymount Hospital, got married, and uh, three years later, I came along. I was born on my parents' third wedding anniversary, which is pretty cool. I was the greatest gift I think they've ever received. Um, anyway, so just like... Um, Many parents of their generation, they, were, they grew up in a church. They grew up with parents who were very devout themselves. But the faith, it was never personally appropriated. We'll just put it that way. So I come along. What do you do with the baby? Well, you've got to get him baptized. Why do you got to get him baptized? Well, we're Catholic. We just get babies baptized. That's what we do. So I got baptized uh, at St. Monica's um, in April of 1989. Okay, so I know we're going way back. You're like, how long is this talk going to be? So. That's why we provided food for you, all right? So, um, but growing up, we didn't really go to church as a family. My parents were business owners, so there were seasons where we went to mass a few times out of the year, but most often, most years, it was Christmas and Easter only, right? So we were, uh, we were the Catholic family that, that took up your pew on Christmas and Easter mass. You know, that we were that family. Like, those people are never here. That was us. That was us. So there was a point in time in my life where I thought church only happened two times a year, because we went two times a year. Um, so, yeah, so it was, the faith was not a huge part of our life at all growing up. And, like, I have very few memories of Mass as a kid. One memory that does stand out, though, um, is I must have been like eight or nine years old. And at the time, St. Mary's in Hudson, the way you used to do communion was that the people in the last row got to go up first, which meant that the people who were furthest from the action, right, uh, they got to go up first and then they got to leave first, right? Because that's how it worked, at, uh, at least in our family. My dad would say, we're going to go to St. Mary's and then to St. Perkins for breakfast. That was how that went. And so you'd have to make a beeline to the door. You're like still eating the Eucharist as you're going out the exit door, right? Um, but one, one time we were in Mass and um, Father Costello's up there on the altar and we get to that moment where he elevates the chalice and the host. It's very solemn, right? Very sacred moment of the Mass where he says, behold the Lamb of God right? We all know this moment. Uh, To this day, I don't know what came over me. I mean, some demon filled my eight-year-old, nine-year-old body. And from the back of the church, I just go, (laughs) I just go, bah, right from the back of the church. And my dad's like, what? He slaps me. And I'm on the ground crying. And he's so embarrassed. He picks me up from the back of my gosh-pagosh overalls and like hauls me out of the church. And and now I'm a priest, guys, so like, like, so there's hope for your kid. My point, you know, you're probably doing way better than my parents, right? By the way, this is, uh, here's, here's me and my little brother, uh, circa 95. I'm the one on the right. Did I hear some ahs? Yeah? Uh, that's right. And by the way, that is my hair that I used to have. Um, it was, they used to say, when I get my hair cut, they used to tell me, you have such thick hair. Liars. That's all I know. They lied to me. Anyway, so that was my childhood growing up. Uh, Things obviously changed along the way, right? I am standing here as your priest. Uh, Here's me and my brother on the day of my ordinate. In fact, today's my, my, that's my brother Scott. My brother Scott, his birthday is today. He's 28 years old today. Happy birthday, Scott. So he also has no hair now. You can kind of tell looking at this picture, it looks like it's going away. And I'll tell you, it's gone. It's gone. Um, so if Scott's watching on the live stream, which I doubt he, uh, he, we, everyone knows he's bald now. Anyway, so things obviously changed along the way, right? How did I go from being this Christmas Easter only faith has really nothing to do with my life to now being your priest? What happened? Well, what happened was a girl <laughs> It's honest to God, the truth, right? The Lord always knows the bait to put on the hook to get us. And for me, it was a girl. We'll call her Kristen because that was her name. Um, And uh, so this is how it worked at my home parish growing up. We got confirmed as juniors in high school. So I was baptized as a baby, first reconciliation, second grade, first communion like your kiddos, and then nothing from second grade onward. I had no religious formation. I didn't go to Catholic school. Um, I also was a PSR dropout. I don't know how that happened, but I convinced my mom it was best if I didn't go to PSR. Anyway, um, the only kind of religion, anything that I had was that my grandma, my dad's mom, insisted that one of her grandsons had to be an altar server. And because I lived, we lived in town with them, it was, it it was going to be me. So it was me. Um, this is a separate story. I'm getting off topic here. But the very first time I served mass, the very first time. I serve mass. I'm carrying the cross in. Mind you, I've, I don't go to mass. I don't, know what, I don't know what to do at mass, right? But here I am carrying the cross in. And the girl next to me, it's like, you know, late 90s. She had this head full of hairspray. She's carrying a candle. We get to the foot of the steps. You probably see where the story's going. Get to the foot of the steps. She bows her head into the candle, <laughs> lights her head on fire. I am not joking. Hand to God, lit her head on fire and i'm like right? <laughs> sister barbara einloth the nun at our parish she comes up from the front row like floyd mayweather and just pff, clocks this girl across the head to put out the fire and like and she's on the ground and the thing was like the girl didn't even know her head was on fire right because there was so much hairspray so all she knew was that this nun came out of nowhere and just clocked her anyway okay so I digress. So uh, junior year of high school, we get confirmed. OK, so my mom tells me at the start of junior year, you're going to get confirmed this year. I like, uh, OK. Uh, she, and she basically said, the reason is because if you don't, my mom, my grandma, her mom, my grandma, uh, would be very, very pissed off, is basically the reason uh, that I was given. And I'm like, that's a good, uh, I guess, that's a good rule for life. Don't make grandma mad, right? So the reason I got confirmed in the first place was my grandma would have been very mad. So I knew part of the process was that you would have to go on some retreat experiences, life team retreats, things like that. And we had life team at my home parish, which is, you know, a huge international youth ministry uh, program. It was the 5.30 p.m. mass. Okay, so it's junior year of high school. I'm in physics class, and I have a huge crush on this girl. Her name is Kristen. I wanted, I, I loved Kristen. I thought she was beautiful and lovely, and she smelled great, and she was, all the, all the things. She checked all my wife boxes, Okay, I was looking for my future wife. So anyway, here's the problem. I would never talked to her. And I wanted to ask her to homecoming. Every month, we got a new seating chart from our our teacher. So we would come in. We would grab a playing card from this deck, and it would correspond to a, a card on the overhead for the new seating chart. So she's already sitting in the classroom. I'm like, wouldn't it be awesome if I got to sit next to Kristen? I come in, grab the card, look at the card, look at the board, look down. I got seated next to Kristen. This is where you go, wow, right? That's what you should be saying, right? Okay, so I was amazed. It was amazing. So I sit next to Kristen, and uh, I proceeded to say nothing to her for the whole first day, and then the second day, and then the third day. I was really killing it for my future marriage with her. So at one point, though, out of nowhere, we were working on this sheet that had to do with the origin of the universe, Big Bang Theory, things like that. And she turns to me. She asked me something about God. And mind you, I knew nothing about God, right? So, I, but I wasn't stupid. So I just was like, like what, well, like, what do you think about God? And then she said some things, and I, I mean, I know synonyms, so I just like picked her words and flipped them around and sent them back in her direction. And she's like, yeah, I know, totally. I'm like, I know, you feeling this, right? You should marry me, right? <laughs> so uh, then she asked me, where do you go to church? And I said, St. Mary's in Hudson, which was technically true. And then she said, I've never seen you there. I was like, crap, right? I figured, though, that she meant I've never seen you at the Life Team Mass, the Youth Mass. So this is what I said. I, was a, I said, well, I, I'm a little bit more serious in my faith. Like, I prefer the Mass with, like, the organ instead of the drumming and the guitars and all that sort of thing. I'm totally lying. Lying straight through my teeth. Really great foundation for my future marriage. Anyway, so she goes, oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, no. In fact, she goes, tonight's the first planning meeting for the fall retreat. How about I come pick you up and we go together? Mind you, my 16-year-old heart is going in my chest right now. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I just, yeah, I found Jesus, found my new, my future wife. This is great. So she's in my driveway, 6 o'clock, honking her horn, and uh, she picks me up. And we were late to this meeting, so we come in late. I'm trying to sneak in the back. She didn't hear me. We're sitting in this meeting, and this is how it unfolded. The youth minister is talking about what the retreat's going to be about. And then all of a sudden, they dim the lights down. And then all the peers, my peers, get up from their spots, and they're starting to surround the altar. And I'm like, what is going on? It's like, is this, is this like the animal sacrifice about to happen? Like, when we drink the Kool-Aid? Um, Lord Jesus, bless our babysitters, please. Uh, thank you, Lord. Okay. So anyway, the priest at our parish, new priest, Father Damien Ference, who has been here before, he starts processing him from the back with this big gold thing. I didn't know what it was. There's incense in front of him. He placed this thing on the altar. And all my peers around me are, are in this posture of worship. There, some have their hands up. Some have their hands folded. Some are lying completely fl- flat on the ground. They're singing. Right? And, I, and I, I'm watching this unfold. And I'm thinking, like, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? Like, what, what are they responding to that I just, like, I just don't know what this reality is, right? All I know is that something happened to me that night. I'm kneeling there. And I'm looking up at this thing on the altar, and, and this grace has given me to sense that somehow this is real, and somehow this is God. And I was kneeling there, and I said a prayer for the first time in my life. It was, God, I, I think this is real, and whatever this is, I want more of it. And I'm ready. That was the prayer. And I left the church that night, feeling like my life had been going in a very particular trajectory, and it was now slightly altered. Like, the the only way to explain how I'm here with you today is in reference to that night. Like, it was as if Jesus had been waiting my whole life to introduce himself to me. Like, it was that night, right? That was the night. And things like, I got super involved in youth ministry. I was going to every Bible study. I was devouring books, and I was going going nuts on this stuff. Because, like, I wanted to know who was this person that, like, just walked into my world and then kept on walking. Like, who was that? So I was devouring books by Scott Hahn and Bishop Barrett, who was Father Barrett at the time. I was devouring books, everything I can get my hands on on YouTube, everything. And my dad at the time was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, hey, Patrick, I'm excited that you've got this religion thing in your life now. But hey, like, pump the brakes a little bit. We don't want you going overboard. Like, it's fine for, for faith to be like a slice of the pie, but don't make it the whole pie. Right? Because you've got like family, friends, work, school, all these other responsibilities. And then you've got faith. And the thing was, like, my dad and I butted heads a lot, junior senior of high school, because what I saw was that I encountered something that so relativized every other thing that I'd ever experienced as a good in my life. Like this thing called Jesus, this thing called faith, it wasn't a competing piece of the pie, it was the crust that undergirded the whole pie, right? It was the thing that made sense of everything else. Friends, if there's, if there's one thing that people know about us Catholics, is that is that, like, we're not really known for our personal relationship with Jesus. We're known for being Mass goers. Like, we go to Mass. That's what we do. And for most people, for a lot of people, Mass is boring. It's boring. Like, the music isn't all that inspiring all the time. The readers are all over the place. Sometimes the preachers are sometimes all over the place, not here, of course, other places, um, the music, you know, whatever it is. And then, I mean, then you add on top of it, the challenge of bringing your kids to mass. I had this beautiful gift as a young seminarian of, uh, my, uh, my good friends, Mark and Lauren Laboda. They've got a bunch of kids, and they're, they're twins, Rosie and Lily. Rosie's my goddaughter. Her and her sister, Lily, they are in fourth grade now, but I had the incredible gift as a seminarian of going to Mass every week with Lauren and the kids when they were little. Did I hear some awes? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so like, I I had lots of Sundays as a seminarian in Mass like this, and I don't think I heard a single homily. So like, when I look out and I see you having like a full-blown WWE wrestling match with your kids, like it elicits so much compassion out of me, right? And like you think your kid is the loudest kid in the world and you're like, ah, oh, they're where the cry room is a mile away, right? Like, like it's hard. It's hard. It's so hard. Right? Like you can't hear the homily. You don't know what's going on. This kid's got to pee. There's Cheerios. And like, like do we really bring a toy that has batteries in it again? Oh my gosh, right? And like for a lot of us, it just when it comes to the mass, it's just, it's, it's boring. It's difficult. This is how most of us feel. Like this, if we're honest, this is what our inner self looks like, right? <laughs> Blessed are the bored in spirit is really what it should be, right? <laughs> And here's the thing. This is like, this was me. Most of my, like those times that I went to church, this was me, right? This was me. And this is honestly, this is also me many mornings in the seminary as, as certain priests would get up. I'm like, oh my gosh, not him again, please, Jesus. You can come back any anytime now. Like we're afraid, we're afraid to say it though. We're afraid to admit it because it just feels wrong to say that mass is boring. We're embarrassed by that. We're, we're, we're kind of, uh, embarrassed, I would say. Yeah. And maybe, it may be also when it comes to like, if you were really pressed to answer the question of why, why is it so essential that your child receive reconciliation, receive first communion? Maybe your answer is as, is as just shallow as my mom's was about me getting baptized, me getting reconciliation, me making my first communion and confirmation, all of that. Well, because it's what we do. And if you don't do it, like grandma's going to be upset, Right. My parents didn't have any substantial reasons. Like, the reason my mom told me, like I said, it's because her mom would be upset. And friends, look, maybe that's exactly where you are tonight. Like, coming in tonight, this whole conversation about reconciliation, First Communion, and, and there is no judgment whatsoever, no judgment. Like, God can take anything and turn it into something amazing, right? He took my mom's motives, my dad's motives, and, like, he used them. I'm a priest. I'm a priest all because we didn't want to upset my grandma, right? He can use anything. He can do anything. What I want you to see tonight in the time that we have remaining is I want you to see this, these, these nights that we're going to have throughout the year as opportunities for you to grow in your faith, right? You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. And like the biggest thing that is in my heart as your priest, as your father is I I desire to see your families radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, like I desire deeply to see your marriages transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to see what it looks like when Jesus really becomes Lord of your home. Um, Because the only thing that's going to change this world is saints, right? And saints don't grow on trees. They grow in your home, right? I I so deeply desire that. So this isn't, this is an opportunity. This is an invitation to have a little bit of openness, a little bit of openness. So back to that title, what does faith have to do with my real life? I think for many of us, we just, we don't see a connection. We don't see a connection between faith and the rest of my life, right? Because on one hand you have, there's the church, there's sacred heart, there's the sacraments, there's Sunday mass over here. But then you have like the rest of my life, which is hard and it's there's de- there's demanding and there's stress and money's tight and my job is this and my boss is this. and. My parents are sick and, and I'm dealing with this pressure and this thing and the dog has to go to the vet and soccer practice, CYO and Browns and da and on and on and on, right? Like I just don't see what faith, what happens here on Sunday, really does have to do with the rest of my life. Like there's this one slice, right, of my life, but there's a lot of other slices. I think for a lot of us, let's be honest, faith doesn't have a lot to do with the rest of our life. And again, let's just start where we are. and If that's you, that's okay. That's okay. It really is. It really is. And maybe it's also we couldn't imagine how faith could have anything to do with the rest of our life. Or maybe it's like, I don't think I want faith to have anything to do with the rest of my life. Because like, I don't want the rest of my life to look boring. I don't want it to look lifeless. right? If I get super involved, I don't want to look like one of those ultra-pious holy cards that like, I, just, I don't think I want that to be my life. That's what I want us to talk about tonight, all right? I want to see this connection, how these two realities can come together. And I want to start with this quote from this guy. Well, that's not a quote. That's the guy. This is the quote. His name is Father Pedro Arupe. He was the former vicar general of the Society of Jesus and uh, the Jesuits. And it was at a Eucharistic Congress years ago. All these people were giving these great highfalutin theology talks and um, Pedro Rupe gets up there because someone asked him before and they're like, listen, father, like we, we appreciate all of these beautiful lectures, all these beautiful presentations, but can you give us something practical? Can you bring it down to earth? Can you give us something practical? And Rupe gets up there and off the cuff, he, off the cuff, he says this. He says, there is nothing more practical than finding God. That is in falling in love in a quite absolute and final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love. Stay in love, and it will decide everything. Friends, like the experience of falling in love... Like, in that experience, something happens to you. Like, a whole new world opens up. This, like, great invitation is given to you. And it radically reorients everything in your life. I want to show you a clip from a movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, It's called We Bought a Zoo. Who's seen this movie? We Bought a Zoo, Matt Damon movie? Okay, a few of us. If you haven't seen it, It's about a family that buys a zoo. Um, And the scene that I'm going to show you here in the end, it's a scene where Matt Damon's character is bringing his two kids back to the diner, back to this place where uh, he had met their mom, his wife, who has died of cancer. No spoiler alerts, it's not really what the movie's about. So he's bringing them back to the place where he met their mom. That's what you're going to see in this encounter. before the story. This is where you and you begin. Because this, I met your mom. She was sitting right there in that chair. done anything like this. I'd never gone and talked to a total stranger before, but she was right there. And so I thought to myself, 20 seconds, right? Go. Now I'm in the restaurant. And I'm terrified. Thinking about leaving. I can actually touch her. She's right there. She still hasn't seen me. I still have 15 seconds of courage left. I'm going for it. Gregory. Here's what I said. What? I said Hey, Mommy. Why would an amazing So good. <laughs> they all got eaten by the animals after that. <laughs> Just kidding, that's not true. All right, friends, think back on when you were when you encountered your the person who is now your spouse, right? Think back on that experience. Think back on that moment, right? That there's this other person who wasn't on the horizon of your experience who suddenly is there, right? And this person like begins to affect you, right? This person slowly begins to affect everything as you begin to slowly let this person in deeper and deeper, right? You let this person into your heart, into your world, into your life. You're letting them in into you, right? And it begins to affect everything. It's affecting how you're, you're saving money, how you're spending time on the weekends, what you're daydreaming about, the way you're planning out your future. Am I gonna move to this city or this city? Am I gonna take this job or this job, right? where you spend certain holidays, right? Falling in love with your spouse, like allowing this person to enter your heart, all of that had real world consequences, real world effects. I mean, did it not? Yes or no? Yeah, it did. It began to affect you, right? Because here's the thing. Ideas might intrigue us, Jobs can reorient our lives and things like that. They can give us different status, career, all that sort of thing. But, but relationship and love, that's the thing that really can change us. And that's what bleeds into and touches every other part of our life. Right? And relationship begins with an encounter by meeting another person and, and being encountered by another person. Right? And this is where this talk, friends, gets very practical. Back to Pedro Rupre, give us something practical. This is where it gets practical for you. And for me, right, this is where this gets practical. I just want to ask you, and asking rhetorically, not needing any show of hands, like, have you in your, in your depths, have you encountered, have you been encountered by the love of Christ? Some of us, I'm sure the answer is yes. Some of us are like, I don't, even, I don't even know what that question means, Father. Because here's the truth, like the God of the universe, he is madly, he's passionately in love with you. And I know you hear that. I know we hear that all the time, but like the God who hung the stars in the heavens, who made the rings of Saturn, the God who said that the universe needs a grand canyon and it needs a Neptune and it needs a Milky Way galaxy, it needs sunrises and sunsets and spring flowers and fall colors. The universe that needs all of that is incomplete without you. It needs you. Like he's wild about you. Like this is what, this is what the catechism says about God. I love this paragraph so much. It says that God calls man first. Man may forget his creator or hide far from his face. He may run after idols or accuse the deity of having abandoned him. Yet the living and true God tirelessly calls each person to that mysterious encounter known as prayer. In prayer, the faithful God's initiative of love always comes first. Our own first step is always a response. Like, Do you hear that? Like God, that God, the God of the universe, is pursuing you. He loves you, like in all of your brokenness, all of your crap, all of the stuff that you have run from most of your life, right? All of the, the shame, like he is pursuing you in all of it, not in spite of it, but like because of it, like that's the God that we have, right? In Luke's gospel, Jesus gives these successive parables in Luke 15, where he's trying to articulate what the father's heart is like. He gives us the image of the lost, the, the lost sheep where the shepherd goes after the lost sheep. Who among you would have 100 sheep and losing 90, the, the, losing one would go after the one? The answer is nobody. Nobody does that. But the Lord does that. Like, our God is the one whose heart breaks open in running after the prodigal son. Like, that's who he is. And like, the question that I want to pose for us today is imagine what it would be like To actually encounter that love, to actually be encountered by that love, to live in relationship with that love. Like, imagine how different your day would be. Like, I'm serious. Like, imagine how different your day would be, how different your relationship to your spouse would be if you had living within you the active voice of that God who's pursuing you. Friends, because like that image of this distant sideline judge God, this like Olympic God who's just watching us and making deductions as we live our immoral lives, like that's not who God is. That's not who he is. He's a father. And his heart breaks. And he pursues. And he sees you. And he desires you. Pope Benedict, he said that being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the result of an encounter with a person which gives life a new and decisive horizon and direction, right? Like those first apostles, they didn't decide to be Christians. What happened was they were encountered by a person who saw them, who loved them, who knew them. There there was something in Jesus's eyes that was so radically different than anything that Simon had seen before. Andrew, James, John, any of those guys, they had never been looked at like that. They'd never been seen like that. And it so relativized everything else that they'd experienced in their life. And like out of that encounter came this desire, I want to be with you. I'm going to conform my life to whatever it is that you are. That's what Christianity is. Again, Pope Benedict, there's no such thing as a Christian who has not encountered Jesus. To be a Christian is to be someone who has encountered this person. Just like being a spouse is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. It's a result of an encounter with a person. Like somewhere along the line, you met a person, and that person made such an impact on you that it called forth from you an entire new way of life called marriage, where you've adhered your will and your intellect and your heart to this other person, and it has affected everything right? It's the same reality. It's the same reality. Love, love changes everything. I'm just, I think in the church, there's a lot of Christians who've never really encountered him, and I'm not blaming you for that. I think in the past many years, like we've had the accent mark on the wrong thing. By that, I mean that we've been focused on catechesis, over evangelization. Right. What's f- what's supposed to come first is an encounter with this person, Jesus. And then out of that relationship with this person comes the desire to have in like, I want to know this person. Right. Think about again, your relationship. It's the same reality. You've met this other person. And then out of that encounter comes a desire. I want to know you or go back to my experience in high school. I met this person, Jesus at this youth group event. And out of that came a desire. I want to know you. So if you're sitting here tonight going, I've been a cradle Catholic my whole life. I don't know what you're talking about, Father. Like this whole business of I need to know you, be encountered by you, all of that. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying, I think it's a reality for many of us. I think a lot of us, a lot of folks sense that there's got to be something more about this faith. There's got to be more than going through motions. I know that's why you're here, like there's, there's a hunger for more, like, I think a lot of people are interested and intrigued by the idea of encountering Jesus, but we've been, we've been taught for a long time that when you encounter someone, when you meet someone, you put your best foot forward, right, you put your, your good first impression face on, right, but that's the problem, Appro- approaching Jesus as if we're doing a job interview, like I want to impress you, I want to impress you, right? I think a lot of us are interested in encountering Jesus like we want to encounter lions in a zoo. (laughs) Which is to say, like, safely from a distance. Right? Behind glass. Like, I don't want him to get too close. Because this is a very different reality. Right? Like, if I let him get close, what will he start poking around at? What will he start wanting to look at? Like, what will he... Like... I want to encounter him, sure, but on my own terms. I don't know if I want to be encountered by him. To be in the passive seat, to let him be in control, right? Because what will he see? He'll see all my junk, all my baggage, all that stuff that I spend so much time trying to hide away. Like, this is how most of us live our lives. It's just the truth that we spend a lot of time and energy Hiding the junk. Hiding the crap. Look, a lot, all of us have this in one way or another. You can't live in this fallen world and not have a heart that's wounded. It doesn't make you bad, it just makes you human. And what we're told in this fallen world is that that stuff is it's a liability to being loved. Right? So we hear the enemy whisper things like, if anybody knew this about you, they wouldn't love you. Or if the people sitting at your table knew this about you, like they wouldn't want to be at your table. Right? That's the enemy's voice. That's the voice of accusation. That's the voice of of shame. But all of that stuff behind the mask, that's the stuff that Jesus came for. Right? That's the stuff he came for. Like, He loves you in your depths. This is what mercy is, friends. Like the word mercy comes from the Latin word misericordia, which is a compound word, right? It means miseria, which means misery and core. This is how this works, that Jesus says, I want your misery. And if you give me your misery, I will give you my heart. This is his desire, right? This is the real Jesus. Like Jesus is not repulsed by your brokenness. Like, my God, look look where he was born. Look at the story of Christ. Like he, he was born in obscurity and he was like his first crib was the manger, right? In an, in an, in a nativity, right? The, the stable, like if he's trying to tell us anything, he's saying like, I'm not afraid of the stench. Like I'm not afraid of the rough touch of humanity. Like the first, the first human skin that touched the skin, the flesh of God was Joseph's dirty, calloused hands. Like, he wasn't repulsed by it. Like, later on, he'll come to Bethany on the fourth day after Lazarus has died, and Martha says, after Jesus says, roll away the stone, she says, there'll be a stench. Like, this is how we respond. When Jesus says, hey, show me, show me your heart. Like, how are you really? Tell me what's really going on. We're like, no, nah, Lord, I don't, you really don't want to know what's going on. Like, there's going to be a stench. Like, you're God. Like, you don't want to deal with this, right? And he says, roll away the stone. Like, that's his heart. He desires to come close into the brokenness. Like, what happened in the first Christmas, the incarnation, continues through time and space in the church, in the Eucharist. Like, the same Jesus who hid himself in frailty in order to get close to broken humanity continues to do that. Every single Mass. That's what the Eucharist is. It's, it's Jesus's... Trojan horse, it's his ability to, for us to just like, yeah, sure. I'll put the flesh of God into my body, into my soul. Like, but do you realize what you do when you go to mass, when the priest or the minister says the body of Christ and you say, amen, and you open and you receive and you like have the audacity to put Jesus into your body. He hides himself in such humility because he wants to get that close. He desires your heart that much that he lowers himself in such an incredible way because he says, I want your heart. I want in. Like, I'm not a taker, I'm a giver. If you let me into those places, I promise you, you'll experience a love for me that you've never experienced in this world. Like, that's the Lord. That's his heart. He desires in. And there's nothing that you've done that disqualifies you. And when you see yourself being seen by Jesus, you just, you're, you're never the same. That's the kind of encounter, that's the kind of love that changes everything. Because we carry in our hearts this desire, like, I want to know that I'm loved. But if I'm only ever loved when I'm wearing my masks, then I know that I'm not really loved. But what happens if I let myself be seen? Friends, that's what confession is. That's what confession is. To stand before Jesus, sit before Jesus, kneel before Jesus in the confessional, Jesus who hides himself in the frail humanity of a priest, and you let yourself be seen, right? You start naming all the ways that you think you've disqualified yourself from being loved. Like, Lord, here's a million reasons why you shouldn't love me. He says, I hear all of that, thank you, but I still love you. I find it astounding as a priest that I'm only given one option from the church to say in response to every single sin that's ever confessed. Whether it's, Father, I disobey my parents, I fight with my siblings, or Father, I murdered 50 people last weekend. I mean, it's a different conversation to be sure after each of those. Don't get me wrong. But it's the same thing. I absolve you from your sins. Like, Jesus' love drowns the world's sinfulness and mercy. And what we're meant to experience is the astonishment, of, like, I cannot believe you love me. I cannot believe you love me. One of my favorite theologians is this guy named Hans Urs von Balthasar. I think kindergarten must have been very hard for him. It's a very hard name. H-A. Anyway, this is, this is what he said about what holiness is. He says, holiness consists in enduring God's glance, letting yourself be seen. It may appear mere passivity to withstand the look of an eye, but everyone knows how much exertion is required when this occurs in an essential encounter. Our glances mostly brush by each other indirectly, or they turn quickly away from each other, or they give themselves not personally but only socially. So too do we constantly flee from God into a distance that is theoretical, rhetorical, sentimental, aesthetic, or most frequently pious. And yet, the best thing would be to surrender one's naked heart to the fire of this all penetrating glance. The heart would then have to itself catch fire because such enduring would be the opposite of a stoic's hardening his face. It would be yielding, declaring oneself beaten, capitulating, entrusting oneself, casting oneself into him. It would be childlike loving. Since for children, the glance of the father is not painful. With wide open eyes, they look into his to look at him who is looking at you. Friends, like to to God, to the ancient of days, like We are always God's babies. This is why Jesus says, unless you turn and become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Like this, this is the posture. This is what we're meant to experience as confession. Like my father gazing upon me in delight, in delight. Like it changes everything. It changes everything. Because you bring your heart everywhere you go, right? It changes how you love your spouse, it changes how you respond to your kids, it changes how you head into Monday for a new week, work of, week of work, it changes how you potentially, like, patiently deal with annoying coworkers, how you deal with that frustrating email, it, deals, it changes how you deal with awful news, how you deal with cancer, how you deal with job loss, how you deal with your parents' death. It changes everything. Friends, here's the bottom line, right? Like, the church has, it hasn't existed for 2,000 years because of amazing preaching or great music or great architecture or great popes. It's existed because for 2,000 years, men and women have allowed themselves to be encountered by Jesus. They've been vulnerable to him. Like, if there's anything you get from tonight, it's the word vulnerability. Like, the faith will never change you. If you don't start getting vulnerable before the Lord. Like no amount of casual contact with Jesus will ever change you. Vulnerability will. Like the church has existed because for 2,000 years people have allowed themselves to be encountered by him and all of this what I'm talking about is available to you like for free (laughs) at every single Saturday and every single confessional and around every single altar. Like, this is what this is about. Like, the, the heart of our faith is not, hey, we've got good news, we've got a lot of rules you can follow, and if you do all these rules, you get to go to heaven. The astounding good news is there is a God who is so wildly in love with you, and he has built for himself these ladders that come down from heaven, and they're called the sacraments, so that he can have access to you, because he loves your heart, and he wants to transform you. Like, he sees you, and he wants to make you so much more than what you are. He wants to make you into a saint. Like the heart of our faith is this astounding proposal that God comes to you because he wants to unite himself to you. Friends, confession, mass, all of this, it's not about doing something good for God. He doesn't need our worship. Like mass is about allowing God to do something for us. Confession is about allowing Jesus to do something for us. Like when your kids ask you, why do we got to go to church? When you ask yourself, why do we got to go to church? The answer is this, because it's there that we, we are most loved. Like mom and dad love you a lot, but our love is imperfect. God's love is perfect. Like we go to church because there we are perfectly loved. And you and I, we need perfect love. Friends, love changes everything. Opening up all of our crap to Jesus and vulnerability changes everything. It, it's what changed me. Like I met a person when I was 16 years old, right? Jesus Christ, but more to it. Like that person encountered me. That's who he is. He's mercy, and he runs to you. I want to end with this. When I'm with this story of this guy named Derek Redmond, Derek was uh, he was a British sprinter. He was a runner who he was lined up for the 400 meter dash. I think it was the '92 Olympics. And uh, right before, like 90 seconds before the race, something happened, and Derek tore his Achilles tendon. Imagine that. Finally getting to the Olympics, and you tear your Achilles 90 seconds before the race. Doctors said to Derek that, hey, Derek, you're, you're never going to run again. You're never going to compete again. You'll be lucky if you walk again. Well, several surgeries later and hundreds of hours of therapy later, Derek made it back to the, uh, I don't know what it was, the Barcelona Games, I think. Doesn't matter. He was back on the starting line. The gun goes off. Derek takes off about 100 meters into the race. Derek collapses, because he had tore his hamstring. You see him hobbling along on the track. And then out from the stands, you see this man running onto the track, this guy wearing this hat, Nike hat, says, just do it, right? He runs up to Derek. He's pushing past the the guards and security. He runs up to Derek, and he comes into his side. And Derek just collapses into him because it was Derek's dad. It's our, our weaknesses, our brokenness, our pain that attracts the father to us, right? He draws near to us in our pain. He draws near to us in our sin. He draws near to us in our feeble attempt to run the race. Like, I think there's some of us who've experienced or have thought that God is the one who's like in the stands shouting down at me, like run harder. Like, why aren't you trying harder? Or maybe he's at this, at the finish line going, get over here. Like, that's who the Father is. Like, it's, it's the stuff that you hurt with that He's running to. Like, that's who He is, and that, like, that's confession. That's confession. When you experience that, friends, it just, it just changes everything. And again, all of it's available to you, and this is what your sons and daughters are going to experience in a few weeks when they get to experience Jesus' mercy it might not have the same sort of deep emotional resonance for them. It probably won't, and that's okay. But I want to encourage you, if it's been a long time since you've been to confession, take some time to prepare a really good examination of conscience. Like if there's things that you have never said before because you're like, I just don't know what the priest is going to say about that. Like, I'm begging you, just get over it and say it. Just say it. Like Jesus is waiting for you. Like he just desires to bring you healing, to bring you that encounter, to bring you that love. So friends, let's end in a prayer in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. Amen. Lord God, you are the one who runs to us. You are the one who desires our whole heart, our whole healing, that we would be totally reconciled to you. That Jesus, when we encounter you in this way, when we let ourselves be encountered by you this way, that it would transform our hearts, or would transform our lives. Lord, we beg you for the grace of vulnerability. And Lord, as we go forth from here, may we have a deeper openness to your spirit, to your love drawing near to us. And we pray all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Friends, the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.